kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Episode 123 of the Love That Album podcast. My name is Morris. Please forgive me. You may not remember who I am because for only the third time this year I'm recording a podcast. I had another break over April, personal life and all that sort of stuff. So thank you for your patience. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, ignore all of that. If this is your regularly umpteenth time listening to the podcast, I thank you for your forgiveness. So, yes, once again, Morris is my name. I'm recording in Melbourne. Love That Album is where myself and a guest talk about an album that we love, hence the name of the show. Quite clever, you see. So, this time around, I'm invited back to the show a lady who looms large in the annals of Love That Album. I'm a huge fan of her. I'm a huge fan of her writing. I'm a huge fan of her talking. Her name is Heather Drain. Welcome back to the podcast, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. And also, uh, the check is in the mail for uh, that intro. That was that was very sweet. <laughs> no check required. I'm a huge fan. I first heard you on the projection booth hosted by our captain, Mr. Mike White. And I said, I need that lady on my podcast. I need to speak to her on his podcast. And he made it happen. So thank you very much, Mike White. Uh, Mike is the magic man. We all, he, he's magic Mike, um, really. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> he's the OG. The OG Magic Mike. He is. So this is your third time back, and we we're going to have some Todd talk, but you said, no, I prefer to have some kinky conversation. Wait, wait, hold up. I, I originally was down because I do love Todd Rangren very, very much. Yes. And of course, which makes sense because we're both, we're also big fans of the tubes, which we have talked about on this show. And of course, Todd produced them. But I had this, like, just this bolt of inspiration. Mm. And I just was like, the Kinks, gotta do the Kinks. The Kinks have been one of my favorite bands since, literally since junior high, back when I was gonna be Mrs. Ray Davies. <laughs> you weren't um, gonna be Mrs. Dave Davies. Or, or, well, that too. I don't know. Ray was my main one, though. I gotta say, I love both of them, though. They're both beautiful. And, you know, I'm sure Ray Davies would have been flattered at the marriage proposal of a 14-year-old in Springdale, <laughs> Arkansas in the mid-90s. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe I could con like cotton him to, you know, doing the kinks and well, you because did, you are you a did, sweetheart. You did say, well, it is my birthday approaching and I really would prefer to have that to speak to as your birthday present to me. So I thought, well, it's not really much of a birthday present, but if you're willing to accept it, happy 39th birthday, Heather. Um, Woo, thank we, you. And I, I think it's a wonderful present. <laughs> I give you the kinks as subject matter for Love That Album podcast episode 123. The album under discussion this time around is a bit of a mouthful, name-wise. Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round, part one. 
So we'll have some stuff to say. Why was there not a part two? What did they end up doing instead? What led up to this album? There's plenty of that talk to come. So before we get into that, Heather, what's been new in your part of the world? You're always doing some writing. I know for a fact that you have a wonderful new series of articles coming out about a band that we've already discussed on the podcast. Please elaborate. I am very, very excited about this. I've wanted to do something on the tubes as a writer for years, at least 10 years, but nothing ever quite came up. And it always felt like just doing a article just seemed like underwhelming to me because there's so much to write about with the tubes. And um, I think they're a band that's never really like been properly evaluated, you know, I mean, other than our episode, of course, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, as far, as far as writing goes, especially in the States, it just hasn't really been enough because most people are just either like oh yeah they did she's a beauty or you know maybe they'll mention white punk someday but that's it i'm like there's so much this band's done and so i decided i'm gonna do like a mini series type of articles that each piece is going to evaluate a different album like of all the classic lineup albums so i'm got the first one about halfway done and i'm should be have it hopefully it'll be live up at diabolic here in about a week but you know and i'm going into like the beginnings up until like you know covering like them doing the first album and then and so so forth on that i am just so i'm so excited i hope everybody loves it if you're not converted to the tubes hopefully i, I could plant this I hope certainly that you can. I'm really, really, really looking forward to this because I, like you, also believe that they have not received their due in the written world. I mean, I think we discussed on the program that there was supposed to be a documentary made about the tubes and still not sure where the money fell through, but there was like a ton of archival concert footage that's available out there for them to have used but maybe there were rights issues who knows maybe the band was well, i mean the band is still together i i, I just, I, i'd be surprised if they weren't willing to speak about their past but well i have some good news with that because i actually i read a recent piece online where somebody had talked to michael cotton who of course is one of the you know founding members of the tubes mm. and is their former keyboardist and Michael's also the one that's doing the documentary. And right. and I saw I read something where no I mean he's still working on it and now they're referring to like hopefully releasing it as a Blu-ray slash DVD. And oh. it sounds like they've talked to everybody who's still alive. Which is pretty much I think everyone's safe for uh, Vince Vince or Vince Wellneck and Jane Dornacker who had uh, performed with them as a dancer with her group Layla and the Snakes. Right. She sadly passed away back in the eighties. So it sounds like it's still go. I hope it comes out sooner than later though, because I mean we we need this. Come on. <laughs> we need this, Michael Cotton. <laughs> now, is it true that Todd Rundgren married a tubes dancer? You know, I've heard that too, and I can't... Oh, so, I can't. I can't immediately verify that right now. I'd yeah, have to kind of. I need go you back to do that. Re I need you to do that research because I recently went to see Todd Rundgren. I think maybe last October. Oh and, nice. And his Love wife him. was back up singing, and it didn't occur to me: Am I watching a Tubes dancer? That would have been just absolutely amazing. But I put that task onto you, Heather Drain. I will do my best and see what I can find out. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll certainly be setting up.
up links to uh, all your articles every time you publish one because uh, the tubes, as you know, are close to my heart. So we need to get the listeners out there to be familiar and then maybe go buy a tubes album, go listen to them on YouTube. They went and stole that, I'm sure, or, or whatever means that they do. They just need to get into this music. So let's not talk any more tubey talk. Let's talk some kinky conversation. We'll go to a quick break and then come back and talk about Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Around Part 1. You'll listen to Love That Album, episode 123. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music related discussion. from break morris over here heather over there in arkansas indeed <laughs> we are in places that have the letter a but we're on different days of the week you're on friday i'm on saturday you're in the future i'm in the past you're we're gonna make this work you're jethro tull i'm <laughs> i'm michael j fox i'm back to the future you're living in the past i might cut this bit out <laughs> no, and... don't, don't. i like it <laughs> Anyway, episode 123 of Love That Album, we're here to talk about the Kinks album released on the 27th of November 1970 called Lola vs. The Power Man and The Money Go Round Part 1. Now, the lineup this time around was Ray and Dave Davies, the pre-Gallagher Gallagher brothers, Mick Avery on drums. That was all of the long-term lineup of the band. Pete Crayford left the band after Village Green Preservation Society, and I believe that several years later, Ray had gone and said that the heart and soul of the band had left when Pete Crayford left the band. John Dalton on bass and John Gosling on piano, and the album was produced by Ray Davies. Now, you've already sort of gone and hinted, Heather, as to when it was that you became a Kinks fan, but please elaborate a bit more, you say, in junior high school. What was the first thing that you remember hearing about the Kinks that you thought, I need this in my life? And did it hit you like lightning? Was it a gradual thing? Well, it's funny because what it started, of course, I grew up hearing like some of yeah, the Kinks music and I always liked it, but it took hearing, and I don't even know how, hearing Come Dancing... And this is the 90s, like, so, I don't know, it had to have been on maybe on the radio, and it just, I was like, oh my god, I need more of this band. Now this actually, when I got this cassette tape, it was probably, I might have still been in elementary, because I think I might have been in sixth grade, and I remember saving up my allowance 
and waiting patiently to go buy the cassette copy of their they had a compilation called Come Dancing and that's all I could find Yes. at the time because the area like the town I grew up in we didn't actually have a record store like you'd have to get music like at Kmart or Walmart or Montgomery Ward even had some music <laughs> like it was definitely a darker time but I, one of those places had it and I saved up and finally I got it and I listened to it so much that the ink that's on the side of a cassette tape, mm. like, it wore off. I actually still have that tape, but I and I recognize it from the particular smudges. That's from that the, the Come my, Dancing compilation. Yeah, but when my mom met my stepdad and they got married, and at this point I'm in junior high, they gave me like a little boom box that had a CD player, which was like, oh wow, okay, now we're really, you know, now we're really like high tech. The first CD I ever bought was Squeeze's Singles 45 and Under. Nice. The second one, the second one I bought was The Kinks. Lola versus the Power Man and the Money Go Round. And that one, I just, I listened to so much to the point where actually I haven't revisited this album until recently for this this episode, even though I listened to the Kinks pretty consistently in my life. Like, I listened to this album so much in my teenage years that I think my adult years, I've kind of like, I still have it in my heart, but I'm like, I've got to listen to their 30 other albums because the Kinks have a very healthy discography. So what do you think was it that absolutely touched you? So you said that you heard Lola versus a Power Man really early. So it sounds like it's the first non-compilation album that you yes. fully delved into from the Kinks, which is amazing to me. But what was it that you found that made you say, yeah, this band is for me? You said that you'd already sort of gotten into Squeeze before through their compilation. So you obviously had a thing for melodic pop that had a little bit of oomph to it. but. What was it that touched you about these bands? Well, it's funny with Squeeze, I actually got into them because when, and again, like this, this memory dates back to being in elementary. I had like, I was super sick with the flu and I was staying home from school and I had this little TV on and laying in bed watching this little TV and VH1 had this show called My Generation that was hosted by Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. And they had an episode that was new wave themed and they had the video for Cool for Cats mm. by Squeeze. And I was instantly like, oh my god I am in love with the song and then I listened to more stuff by Squeeze as time went on and I was like oh man these, these guys are really good I still really like Squeeze I, actually a little like tie there you know who's a big fan of Squeeze and who has toured with them are the Tubes Wow, that does not seem like a pairing that would go naturally to me, but there you go. If you go on Bill Spooner's website, I think he has links to like either Difford or Tilbrook, but with the Kinks, yeah, it's funny because I look back on it and especially like the cultural landscape and everything in my early youth because I was coming of age like grunge and alternative. Those were really kind of really like the big deals. And I liked some of that stuff, but it never truly like resonated with me. Like the stuff I really connected with was like the Kinks and then Kate Bush, Roxy Music, the Tubes, a little bit later on, like kind of early punk as well in goth. You know, I never really felt like connected to my generation. Cue up the who, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did connect to the Peter Noon show though, obviously. But uh, with the Kinks, it was just a mix. They have like, to me, the Kinks bring like the best of, of all music. Cause you know, if you like melody, they've got it. If you like really smart lyrics, they have that too. Do you like kind of a sense of humor? Sometimes almost kind of like sharp sense of humor, like very like cutting. They've got that, you know, they can rock. <laughs> 
you know, they've been, that's a band that's inspired probably everybody from folk musicians to hard rock, heavy metal bands. Mm. Like the Kinks, just their thumbprint is so huge and all encompassing. And on a less like fancy note, of course, as a teenager, I had a super crush on Ray Davies. <laughs> so that, you know, your teenager hormones help. They hormones do. must definitely help with your interests. <laughs> Not many other bands are going to be able to say that they're an influence on both Van Halen and Blur. Yeah, no, that's be- beautifully put. Like, how, how did you get into the kinks? Well... I guess I remember hearing you know, individual singles pop up as flashbacks on Top 40 radio while I was growing up. But I think the first time where I really popped into my head that I thought, wow, this is fantastic, was the same song as you, Come Dancing. But I remember hearing it as a new song. It was the first new kink song in my lifetime that sort of became a big hit. I mean, they'd still been recording all those years. But from the time that I started listening to Top 40 Radio, I think in 75 or 76, this was like the big single. I think it came out in 82, 83. And I just couldn't get enough of this song. And what seems to be like a connection to his early material is that Ray was always a great storyteller. And at the time, I didn't know that this story was very autobiographical. And a lot of what he's written is either about his family or about his observation of British life. For me, like you know, the, the Who and the Beatles are my great big cornerstones of what pop music is all about. But they don't do and couldn't do what... Ray Davies could do as a songwriter and I've always loved a story song and I think that in a way Ray Davies is the king of the story song. I think sometime in the 80s I might have gone and bought a best of and strangely enough I left it at that. I don't know why I didn't pursue them any further. Then in the 90s there was a show on local public radio I think called King Sounds and they were doing a focus feature on the Kinks one week and they played a song from an album that became for a long while my very favourite Kinks album the album is called Something Else and the song was Harry Rag and I just loved Ray Davies turn of expression how he wrote about having a cigarette as rhyming slang. You know, everyone has to go have a Harry Rag. And I think it was shortly after that that I went out and bought all the 60s, all the pie era Kinks albums, which I think were quite easily available. For me, it was those pie era records that were the big deal. Naturally, I heard Preservation Act. I visualize a day when people will be free And we'll be living and soap opera and give the people what they want yes he evolved in a different way than what i would have expected i mean in a way you could say like give the people what they want in that era possibly very similar to how they started off you know they start off as this hard rock or blues based act and he sort of returned to his hard rock roots rather than being this sort of almost genteel baroque pop songwriter who invoked strong melodies or british music hall traits and will certainly be getting 
getting into that a fair bit. But for me, it's the strong sense of pop that is what I really love about those Pie albums and those lyrics, which can be very, very biting. And in a way, Ray Davies was a punk. I mean, or at least emboldened the spirit of what punk came to be later on when the early era of punk was fuck you and fuck everything that you stand for. Ray Davies could say the same thing, but in a way that you didn't even know that he'd just gone and told you to go fuck yourself. Absolutely. That was all, by the way, just beautifully put. And especially about both the music and the attitude. You know, another thing I always love, like one of the 11 things I love about <laughs> this band and Ray Davies is that, you know, a lot of British rock acts tend to like, when they sing, they don't really sound British. They don't, you know, yeah. And like growing up, I thought Eric Clapton was American until I heard him in an interview and I was like, he's British. But um, and now I'm just like, ew, with Eric Clapton. But uh, <laughs> I'd rather be listening to the King. Ray Davies and this band in general, there's like a pride of where they come from, both both not only country wise, but also origin wise. You could tell like they never lost touch with who they are. That's in this album. But I think it's also in just their work as a whole, because there's a lot of like rock musicians that they're struggling and yet like yeah i'm the working man you know a working woman singer i'm for the people but then like hey well now they're millionaires and billionaires and they're getting groupies all the time and they're still putting that pose on and and it feels forced it feels hollow i almost don't want to name names because i think some of them are people that probably still mean well like their hearts are good but it's but you know what i mean you can kind of tell like they're kind of faking the funk a little bit Mm. i never felt like that with ray davies or dave for that matter with this band like i i've never in all other periods i mean and this is a band that obviously has had a lot of fame and success and notoriety not as much as they should have had i think they should be neck and neck with the beatles and the stones as far as fame and money that those guys deserve it the kings never made in my opinion they never really truly sold out i mean some things are better than others they never did their equivalent to like steel wheels you know (laughs) and i love i love a lot of stuff by the stones for the record but the kings i just feel like always there's always like a part of them that always just has stayed true to who they are even as solo artists like with dave and ray both now because obviously the band hasn't been together a long time but they both still do work and i feel like they're still just they are who they are and that's why they're my heroes you can walk So you've gone and mentioned quite a few things in there which are all interrelated in terms of who they are and their Britishness. You said that they didn't get the popularity due to them. I definitely concur with that. I read many years ago the Ray Davies biography X-Ray, which was sort of fact within fiction. I don't know. Did you ever get a chance to read that? I actually, I just recently bought that one and his follow-up. So I haven't read them yet, but I'm very excited. I've been wanting to get my hands on those for quite a long time. All right. There's a framing device used in X-Ray to tell the story, but one of the big stories in the book was, and I'm going to forget some of the details here, but I think the Kinks were like on their first or maybe second tour of the U.S., in 65 or 66 and Ray and Dave 
fought so much on stage and I think there was also an incident I'm not going to get the details quite right but I think there was something about the American Federation of TV and Radio Union basically putting an application saying we don't want these British hooligans in our country <laughs> so basically the kinks because they either fought on stage or they beat up a television studio tech or something like that so the band were not admitted to the states for another four years so what's going to happen if they can't tour the US well they decide well we're going to sit at home and just write songs and in those years they put out albums face to face something else Village Green Preservation Society Arthur yes. or the decline yes. and fall of the British Empire and Lola versus Power Man so what are they going to do during those years they're going to turn the focus on what they know what's the point in singing about things they don't know well what do we know well we know our backyard we know what Mr. and Mrs. Britain like to do as you see you know, the Beatles and the Stones and the Who never really looked terribly much at the mirror I mean I think on Sgt. Pepper there's that wonderful song Good Morning Good Morning and that's probably about as British and Penny Lane, I guess, but that was a more personal thing rather than sort of being a look at British society. The Who did it years later with Quadrophenia, but that was a young man's look at what he disliked about England. This was with the kinks, their raison d'etre was to look at what Mr. and Mrs. Britain were doing of a night, but also look at their generation. They were looking at the dandies, they were looking at the trendsetters, the trend makers, the vacuous the people who were giving a damn about their society but they looked at England as a whole that's what he liked he liked to look at good old-fashioned England he liked to look at modern England and that I think was as a result of the American ban and I was sort of struggling with this thinking were they not as popular as the Stones and the Who and the Beatles because they didn't tour but you know by that stage I mean the Beatles were the big exception they started everything and by the time the Kinks were banned the Beatles were quitting touring anyway. I think that there was a three-year period, the same three or four-year period that the Kinks didn't tour the States, the Stones didn't tour the States. They didn't come back until that fateful tour of Altamont. And the Who were not really, I don't think, a big thing in America until Tommy broke anyway. So I don't know whether it's a live thing or not, as has been suggested, but I'm sure wiser rock scholars than myself can sort of put that notion to rest. But either way, I'm guessing maybe that younger people were, were more looking after records about psychedelia or the counterculture rather than songs about plastic men nibbling their plastic bums. Plastic lips and pipes, plastic teeth and gums and plastic legs that reach up to his plastic bum. Or dandy guys walking down Carnaby Street in the latest fashion. So, I mean, maybe they were victims of their own interests, but here we are years later saying that this music not only holds up really, really well, but maybe holds up better than their contemporaries. Make no mistake, you know, I'm Beatles and Who guy first, but I think the best of Ray Davies is the equal, maybe the better in some cases, than either Townsend or Lennon and McCartney. And that will come as a surprise to people who know me, but Ray Davies, from his lyrical observations and those melodies which just won't leave your head and can really just drain the emotion out of you. You're preaching the truth. Probably link to that. You know, as I've gone and said, the, the younger people were not going to be necessarily buying as many albums about well like you know take the, the big one that we all talk about nowadays village green preservation society which is like the kinks pet sounds it's the one non-greatest hits album that maybe the average non-kinks person will have heard of we are 
are the village green Preservation Society God save the old duck Born of Bill and Variety We are the desperate and Appreciation Society God save strawberry jam And all the different varieties and in that way, I think maybe you know, the, the kinks were like the band. They were talking about a generation past. I mean, on the one hand, it's not rock and roll rebellion, and yet it is very rock and roll because they're doing what their contemporaries are not doing so much. I mean, they dabbled a little bit with psychedelia on something else, but Village Green Preservation Society, with its songs about good old-fashioned choo-choo trains and the average Briton organising a society to look after their lawns and to pay tribute to tasty strawberry jams. It's very rock and roll because it's not rock and roll, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes total sense. Gosh, it's so insane to think about that period of time of just like album after album was just beast. It's like every single album is some of the best rock and you know, rock albums ever. I mean, Arthur is listening to that with the, with my husband about a month ago and we were just like god this is like just jaws dropped like it's so good This is so amazing. And, you know, we get up to this album with Lola and tying into what you were saying about Davey's strength as a songwriter is that him and Dave both do things with this album that in lesser hands, you know, you would be in danger of almost cliche at this point in the game. Like usually even rock bands and rock musicians do songs about being on the road or, you know, or how hard it is being famous. It's the most rock cliche thing. And I think most of us are probably like, yeah, right, buddy. You know, <laughs> we, feel, we feel really, like, for example, I'm a big fan of Twisted Sister. I love Twisted Sister. But they have their song, The Price, is just like, oh, D, no, don't, don't do this. Don't do this cliche. Like, you guys are good about, talk, you know, like some fucking A rebellion kind of going on with, with hard rock. But with this, the Davies brothers are just proving that they're the men and Ray in particular being the man by having just the intelligence there's almost like an old soul quality to his writing like mm. it's just someone who has I think a really innate sense of people you know and how we all connect to each other or try to connect to each other and also able to kind of express his, his own emotions his own bitterness which I mean we don't have probably enough time to go into the full detail of how this band got rooked by their management in the 60s and, and probably 70s but that kind of stress has ripped apart a lot of bands. There's a lot of bands that never even got the chance of being famous because by the time they get ready on the edge, they're so burnt out from just a lot of the kind of vulturous nature of the music industry that they just implode. But the Kinks, obviously, survivors, the Warriors, they kept on. And thank God for all of us <laughs> that they did. But to be, to go through that kind of thing where it would have to make you super bitter, he's able to see inside of it and outside of it with this album. And I just think that's amazing. That's something that I'd probably went over my head when I listened to this album as a kid, obviously. Mm. But re-listening to it now, like with adult ears, it's just, I love it even more. There is some beautiful truth and some harsh truth and some great wisdom uh, in this work. Well, I my education and I 
that I nearly broke down. On this album, there's a lot of stuff that's very cutting and biting, which is what we expect from Ray Davies. And there's some very humbling stuff and, and some beauty and joy and hope. But we tend to remember Ray Davies more for the cutting stuff. Before we approach this album, there's just one other thing I want to touch on about the overall kink sound. And the question I want to put to you is, is there a kink sound? If you would like listen to a Who record, take away Tanzend and... Daltrey's voice, you'd know it was a Who record. The same thing with the Beatles and the same thing with the Stones. And I keep coming back to them because that's that period. It's that holy trinity, if you will. They all had very distinctive sounds. I'm wondering, would you, if you had not heard the song, if the Davies Brothers' voices had been mixed out of a song and someone was going to play for you, yes sir, no sir, would you have picked it as a kink song? Ooh, that's a hard question because... I would probably be like, this sounds like this is influenced by the kinks, maybe, but, you know, a huge part of the kink sound are those voices. Mm. It's Ray. It's Dave, too, because you think, I mean, like, Dave usually gets kind of overlooked a little bit, but, I mean, Dave's done some amazingly vocal work, particularly, I think, anything ranging from uh, Death, Death of the Clown to um, Living on a Thin Line. And even just his backup vocals with Ray, they harmonize so beautifully together, and there's nobody else on the planet that sings like Ray or Dave. Yep. It's just, they are that magic. I love it. To me, it would be like Thin Lizzy without Phil Lynott. You know, I mean, yeah, somebody can play those guitar riffs, and you're like, that sounds like Lizzy. But then you hear somebody who's not Phil, and you're like, wait, that's not Thin Lizzy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, the voice is the biggest instrument in some ways. And I, I feel like right. that's definitely the case. Not to take away from your musicianship, because the kinks have always, you know, I mean, they've obviously had some rotating members. Of, there's always really great musicianship in this band and no, this particular no lineup. No, look, no question. Uh, they were all fantastic musicians. I've always been a big fan of Mick Avery as a drummer, but you don't listen to Mick Avery the same way you'd hear Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts has a series of drum fills and accentuations on the crash cymbals, and you know that that's Charlie Watts. You know, Keith Moon around the kid. There's no mistaking him, but Mick Avery, I'd never sort of listen and think, oh yeah, that's a Mick Avery sound. Dave Davies was you know, a great lead guitar player, but you'd never sort of necessarily pick him in the same way that you might pick say, Keith Richards, for instance. But as a band, as a whole, they made every song work beautifully every time. So yeah, it, you, you raise a good point. In their case, in the Kinks case, the most beautiful instrument is the voices of Davies Brothers, and it's not harmony in the way that the Wilson Brothers harmonised. It's a different sort of harmony, but it is very much them, and only just like recently listening again to this album over and over and over again, as well as like all the previous pie work, headphones is the way to go, because there's just bits that I never sort of really picked up as well, just like listening through the stereo speakers, but you hear it close to your ears, and the way how they might mix in Dave's higher harmonies. It's there, so you notice it's beautiful when it's close to your ears. That's a great point. In particular, there's a track on the song called Long Way From Home, which is just a good, just powerful, very melancholy kind of track. And just Dave's background vocals, the way that it comes in behind Ray's for the chorus, just it just hits you in the heart. about 
the album itself. We've sort of gone and spoken for about 30, 40 minutes about other stuff. If we could say that Village Green was about remembering old England, and if Arthur was about trying to make sense of modern England, as a lot of Kink songs have done, then Lola vs. Power Man is Ray Davies saying, I'm pissed off at England. More really, I'm pissed off at the British recording industry, although he also has things to say about unionism and the state of environmentalism, which I guess, you know, even it was a global issue, but maybe he's looking at it as a Brit because that's what he knew. As I mentioned before, one great thing about this album was how he did being pissed off. As I said before, Give the People What They Want is an angry album, and I was thinking in particular of the song right back to front. hard rock approach to a song about people's low tolerance for views other than their own and that's not a modern day notion is it right Uh, no no not at all but this album has songs of genuine sarcasm and bitterness but if you're not really going to pay attention to the lyrics and there's no way you can't on a Ray Davis album because his enunciation is there he wants you to listen to these lyrics I, I know a lot of people say I'm not really a lyrics guy but Ray Davies doesn't allow you that luxury and on this album he's pissed off and you, you can sort of get confused thinking you know why am I hearing this jolly melody in the background it sounds like we need a chorus of chimney sweeps dancing on Mary Poppins roof along to this but, he's, <laughs> but he still sounds very very angry <laughs> I did, that just gave me some amazing metal images of the Davies brothers <laughs> being little chimney sweeps but, uh, mission accomplished but Yeah, the thing I love about the way that Ray processes anger is that he's able to use it truly like the natural fuel resource that it is it's not necessarily angry in a super like aggro kind of way but it's there you feel it it's tangible there are times where he can see the humor in it like i love one of my favorite tracks on this album is top of the pops yes Yes, it's number one, it's Top of the Pops. You know, and just that last line, you know what this means? It means you can earn some real money. (laughs) And you know what this means? This means you can earn some real money. I think anybody in the arts and period, you don't have to be a musician, anybody who's done anything creative, you literally are always going to have people in your life that act like anything you do is basically nothing unless it's like the big time, you know, the super big. And then they're like, oh, maybe it's a real job now. That just kind of wryness is so perfect. He's able to see like the different shades of things, I think, with this album. Well, with uh, probably all of his albums, actually. I think this album is often cited incorrectly as a complete concept album and he'd already sort of gone and done two concept albums previously I think with Village Green and with Arthur I believe at one point while they were making that record it was supposed to be for like a film it was supposed to be a BBC TV show yeah and that that didn't happen in the end yeah yeah which is that now granted I'm a huge Ken Russell fan and that would be like a total I don't know how like a more delicate way to say this like a nerd boner moment for me if those two worlds (laughs) come together this is the show to do that oh my god i mean because i love tommy and i love the original who album and i very much absolutely love the movie also oliver reed 
I love Oliver Reed. <laughs> He's so good in that. But yeah, Russell would have been a cool choice for that. I don't know if a lot of people know this about Ray Davies. He made a film. Like he made a, a short film in the 80s called Return to Waterloo. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's so good. It's got various tracks from the kinks. So you have that. But there's like, it's... It's surreal. There's a lot of kind of great commentary and kind of a dying part of England. There's also themes of a possible serial killer, possible incest. It's pretty dark, obviously. Uh, to, there's a great commentary also on the status quo. Some of this, some of these themes are here in this album too about just the dangers of kind of selling your soul for money mm. and for power. So it's absolutely astounding. Thank God, knock on wood, he is still with us, kicking ass. I would love for him to get the chance to make one more film because it's so good. I only remember hearing about it because I think it might have been on a VHS tape in my video library back in the 80s. I might have had like a compilation of Kink's video clips and I think I remember seeing something like plus bonus return to Waterloo but I've never had a chance to see it and I was sort of worried that it might be something as earnest as Pete Townsend's video of the 80s called White City which had some great songs but really was a little bit dull it seemed like you know for him to be interesting he had to be doing concept stories about that made no sense about deaf dumb and blind boys and pinball or young mods who didn't know which way they life was going white city about him as a returned rock star coming back to his old town and meeting up with his old friend who went swimming every day it yeah didn't really do terribly much so there was part of me that was possibly needlessly concerned that ray davies return to waterloo might be a similar vanity piece no no it's there's not a dull moment in it in fact ray has a cameo in it and that's about it it's not about him it's mm. about this story i'm trying to remember the name of the lead actor he's great there's a great like British character actor in the lead. Uh, there's a, a young Tim Roth in it. Oh wow! Who doesn't love Tim Roth? Even in this, you know, he's like so fantastic. It's like oh my god, it's Tim Roth. It's brilliant. I actually had the really good fortune of getting to see it screened in a theater at the Lincoln Center in New York. Thanks largely to my good friend Bill Ackerman for oh, supporting nice. characters. Bill made the that magic happen. So I cannot thank him enough. And getting to see it in the theater was even better. It's so good. I I wish it was in print. You can still get it on DVD in the States, but it's out of print. Hmm. Let's get back to the album under question. Yes. Yes. Now, I sent you a note during the week. I don't know how you feel about this. As I said, I don't think that this is a complete concept album, but if you took a handful of the songs on the album and reordered them, they are definitely telling a story, and you have a mini rock opera, if you will. And there are another couple of songs which you could add to this, but I'm going to go for a strict four. And it was like, you know, in the, in the 60s, they used to release seven-inch EPs. I think if the Kinks had gone and released this as a four-tracker seven-inch EP, they would have had some serious serious rock opera gold here it would have been maybe or their equivalent of the who's a quick one while he's away but with a story that actually made a bit more sense so the songs would be the contenders denmark street top of the pops and the money go round i would like to suggest to ray that if he's listening to this and he says that's a good idea i'd like to suggest ray that you name this mini rock opera fuck the music business <laughs> A mini cautionary rock opera. Let this be a lesson to you, kids. Don't pick up a guitar. I want to go through all four of these songs and just sort of talk about the progression. So, okay. The Contenders, which starts off the album, but would start off our four-track EP.
almost makes me wish that they'd been able to keep this concept going up a whole record, but you know, we have this very, very strong four track EP. So Contender starts off with a guitar banjo intro that's very country influenced and sounds like those movies that feature the young innocent before everything turns to shit and it features Ray Davies or as the protagonist surrogate telling his mama, I've got to see what it's like in the big bad world out there. And after the first verse, it moves into this big blues rock feel. And you just sort of imagine him walking down some big New York street and there's all this choreography going back and forth and agents and the agents wagging their finger and saying, come on in, I'll sign you a deal. And everything's good and exciting and new and fresh. And this is the Garden of Eden. Don't bite from that tree because you know what's going to come. Actually, did I say New York? I meant London. I don't want to be a constructor of highways, a sweeper of sidewalks. I've got to do it my way. This is a little bit like Gene Kelly singing Gotta Dance in that lullaby Broadway sequence in Singing in the Rain, one of my favourite films ever. Oh, man. Yeah, the opening of the song is so... Oh, the whole song is great. But yeah, just like you were saying, like the, you have the intro where it's almost got like this folk twang to it. Of course, you've got you know, the aforementioned gore gorgeous backup vocals of Dave Davies mm. and it's like kind of almost sweet and then all of a sudden bam it's rocking there's like a cinematic crunch to it there's the message of, of needing to be free you just see this young person who's they're from like a blue collar working class situation and they want something bigger for themselves. They want something better for themselves. They want to do what they love. They want to be free, probably because they've grown up seeing their family struggle mm. with not a whole lot to show for it. There's a lot of power to this. It's not like your traditional jukebox hero, foreigner bullshit kind right. of, you know, where it's just vomitous cliches ever. Like, this is someone who's lived it and who gets it. And I think, you know, even if you're not like a, you know, a rock musician, like I'm not a musician, I can, I definitely identify with that. I think a lot of us can, especially those of us who grew up with families that weren't, that certainly weren't rich, that weren't even middle class. Your family's working hard to pay the bills and put food on the table. I think any of us who, who've grown up like that and, and, and are still living like that can definitely understand and relate to it. We all want to be contenders, right? Right. Exactly. I could have been a contender. I could have been a contender. <laughs> the second song in our quadrilogy. Was that a word? It is Den now, baby. Denmark Street. Yes. One of those great musical ditties that you think you could sing standing around the family parlour with a piano and a ukulele, but it's you know, Ray Davies setting up the rug that he's going to pull you out from under. Got to a publisher and play him your song. He says, I hate your music and your hair is too long. There's enough sarcasm in here to fill a Faulty Towers episode in this song. <laughs> Ray Davies is telling his audience exactly what's going here with publishers who hate his music, but they smell a buck. You're not interested in what I do. No, of course I'm not. If doing what the, what the long-haired kids like nowadays, shit, we'll make money off it. So, But he's doing it in 
that old Britain style and that he loves that music hall style. He loves to keep coming back to it and you sort of wonder, is it a love-hate relationship? Is he doing it ironically? Is he doing it just because he likes it musically? Or is it because this is the signal of old England, the power is still being held by those old school Denmark street music publishers? And this yeah. is the sort of lyrical cynicism that Ray Davies specialises in. He's previously picked his targets, people who are false, people who are regulated in their weekly habits, you know, what they eat for dinner every Sunday night, what they're going to watch on television at 6.30 on a Sunday night. But he's also sang about England with great affection. And, you know, for me, Days is one of the most beautiful songs ever to come out of his pen. So he can inject the cynicism when he wants and he can also inject the love and affection when he wants. But this song, we haven't quite hit full tilt, baby, yet in terms of how cutting he can get that comes at the end of this quadrilogy and i think probably in another tubesy sort of related thing uh, this song possibly i'm thinking of she's a beauty step right up come on in here sign on the dotted line i'm thinking of fee Weibel and his boater hat and that pinstripe suit and that's what denmark street for me is all about uh, before I go into Denmark, sir, I got to say, Fee Waybill as a carny in a movie needs to happen right <laughs> now. Any, please, universe, please make this happen. I don't ask for much, okay? I just want Fee Waybill as a charismatic, sleazy carny in a movie. Thank you. But as far as Denmark Street, yeah, it's got this great, like, almost like music hall kind of rhythm. Not quite like, not, we're, we're not going full tilt Anthony Newley here, but it does have that kind of, I love the the image of a family singing this in a living room with a piano and a ukulele. The thing about the rhythm of this too is you can totally, it almost seems like to me, it kind of brought to mind like sort of the idea of like the entertainment workhorse lifestyle, thinking of like music halls and vaudeville and just sort of these arenas where these are entertainers, but they're not like top tier. It's just like, no, you're working your ass off night after night on stage, giving them the razzle dazzle and you're not the main people making the big bucks are not you, you know, but you're still slapping on the grease paint. Mm. You're still glad grabbing your guitar. And just doing what you love. But the reality is like, yeah, the music men, there's always going to be opportunists to who are going to take advantage of people's passions to line their pockets, to line their own pockets. Yeah, man, just bring in the realness in such a deceptively jolly way, as you were talking about earlier. They're making the coin and you might just get enough to get a packet of crisps before the gig starts. After this, we have of the quadrology, we have Top of the Pops. has passed and our hero is now the new flavor of the moment heather your thoughts this is as i as i mentioned one of my absolute favorite songs off this album and it's an album that i love every song there is not an ounce of filler or fat on this album it's pretty damn near perfect top of the pops you got the killer dave davies riffs so musically it's yeah it's a great rocker the commentary on just the absurdity of the whole hit-making situation in shows like Top of the Pop. 
Pops is super on point. There's like kind of a hopeful youthfulness edge to the song too, which I like that kind of balance. Well, it's the most contemporary it, sounding song on the album to that point. Probably true. foreshadows like what they're probably going to do during more during the Arista years than anything. This is the music that those publishers are wanting from it. You know, unlike what we get in Denmark Street, which is it's their era, the publisher's era. Top of the Pops is, oh yes, that's what you young people like. And this is the music that has got them to the top of the pops, if that makes right. sense. Right. This song has some of my favorite lyrics on this album, too. It's just, I love the line, I've got friends that I don't even know. Like, that's perfect. Just hitting it home of just like, okay, you're famous, and yeah, now there are people out of the woodwork. Yeah, there are people that could write a whole song about that aspect. Ray nails it with one perfectly single line. So good. What are your thoughts? What do you think, Morris? You're going to really like what I'm going to have to say here, because I'm going yeah. to make yet another Tubes connection. Yes. When you have a series of lines like, go tell my mama and my sister to depress my trousers and polish my shoes. I might even end up a rock and roll god. It might turn into a steady job, which is biting all at once, you know, with this, oh, this might turn into a steady job. But what song am I thinking of? Oh, my God. Would Strung Out on Strings, Bill Spooner? Oh, yes. Okay, and bless you for mentioning Strung Out on Strings. That's a tube <laughs> song that's, that's a deep cut for most people. It is, but, you know, that was also a song about having high dreams for making it to the top. Of course, it never gets as bitter and vindictive as the next song in this quadrilogy gets, but it is all about dreams. Hey, Ma, I listened to the radio from when I was a kid, and now, hey, I'm on top of the world, and I'm making decent bread, which, of course, you know, Ray Davies is never saying that. He's saying, well, it might turn into a steady job. I might get paid a salary yeah. singing in front of millions <laughs> of people. With Top of the Pops, I mean, look, I'm just reiterating here. He mocks the notion that he's having a bit of a go here. Say, oh, look at this. My song got to number one on the charts and I might just be able to eat for a day or two. What's wrong with this picture? But I love how he delivers it musically as a rock song. You know, this is less his vision on what music should be and more on what the publisher's vision of, oh, this is what the kids are buying nowadays. And what's perfect is the next song, which happens to be the fourth song in this quadrology mm. that you have built. But it's naturally the next song on the album, too, is The Money Go Round. Robert owes half to Grenville, a winter gave half to Larry, who adored my instrumentals. So he gave half to a foreign publisher, he took half the money that was earned in some far distant land. And I love this song too. It's actually another one of my favorite songs on this album. And it's like almost like a great kind of like, okay, kid, you're on top of the pops. Here's the really harsh reality after this. <laughs> but it's so catchy. It almost has that, not quite of Denmark history, but it's got a kind of a catchy, almost like, it's like a music hall sort of vibe to it, which I did. We were talking before about Buster Keaton films, and this sounds like it should have been the soundtrack to either a Keystone Cops film or a very physical Buster Keaton film. That whole piano, bum, 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 bum. You just imagine there's a whole bunch of people chasing round after each other, but here it's about money chasing itself. Robert owes half to Grenville, who in turn gave half to Larry, who 
adored my instrumentals, so he gave half to a foreign publisher. She took half the money that was earned in some distant land, gave back half to Larry, and I end up with half of goodness knows what. What a brilliant line, half of goodness knows what. That's the whole money story. They're chasing the money go around. It's just ridiculous. It's stupid. They're all chasing each other around. And it's the fiscal equivalent of a bunch of incompetent cops with truncheons and long mustaches and the big, I can't remember what they call those big British police hats. This is the fiscal equivalent of a Keystone Cops film. And musically, this works towards that. At least it does in my head. You know, I never thought about that. Actually, I would see it paired more with Harry Langdon or, or Harold Lloyd, personally. But yeah, well, that's that, just me being snooty. <laughs> but it's so good. And I love the line where he sings like, do they all deserve money from a song that they never heard? Like, oh. <laughs> it's, like so, it's so great. And that's the reality. And also, this is part of the title track. Something's hitting me right now thinking about the title of this album. Because you've got Lola versus The Power Man. Mm. And the money go around. It's like, wow, it's, it's like, it's Lola? What is Lola's role in this? Of course, that's obviously the best known song off this album. Lola actually was big enough hit in, in the States. You will still hear it to this day on occasion on like classic rock radio. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's owned on classic rock radio. You sort of got to wonder whether, if you're going to talk to a non Kings person, what do you know the Kings for? It's going to be You Really Got Me or it's going to be Lola. That's it. Lola's a great song. It's kind of frustrating because I think because it has been played so much. I'm kind of good. I mean, if I hear it, great, because I'm still listening to the Kinks, so that's awesome. But there are probably dozens upon dozens of other Kinks songs I, I would go to first at this point. That's not the song's fault. Radio has no imagination and is now programmed by robots, so it's, we don't we don't get the deep cuts on unless you got like you know like satellite radio. That's right. probably different. But I kind of love the idea that I mean, because Lola, that kind of seems to have a connotation that Lola is kind of this alternative figure, kind of up against the status quo and you know somebody who's a transsexual or transgendered person especially in the 70s well that's i mean i don't think you get much more alternative than that and i don't even know if that was even the full implication from the davies probably not but it's kind of a cool way to approach it and it's such a sweet song there's some things that kind of in the past where it's like oh look you know, that she's a he, and that's a big joke, and kind of a more enlightened age now, like some of that stuff does not hold up very well at all. But with Lola, it doesn't feel like like a total huck yuck. I mean, I think there's a little bit of cheekiness to it, but it's kind of sweet. There's a sweetness. I think actually that's probably one of the sweetest songs on this album, if you think about it. this song band had nothing to do with the supposed controversial nature of 1970, that it was a song about love between a transvestite and, and a young man. It was the fact that he sang the word Coca-Cola in the first recording of the song. BBC were not going to play a song that was going to promote a product. So Ray Davis <laughs> had to fly over from America to London 
just to basically record those two words, Cherry Cola, to get it played on the BBC. I mean, it was worth it in the end because the song became a monstrous hit. Maybe it's a millstone around his neck to this day. But yeah, bottom line is, it is a really sweet song. I love, once again, his turn of phrase. Ray Davies, to me, has never been someone who's used lyrics in an overly verbose way. He just makes a good use of economy with the words, the simple words that he has, and adjective descriptions like, you know, dark brown voice and under electric candlelight. You get a picture there without him having to be overly literary or overly verbose about it, but he just used the right words to bring mental pictures to your mind. I mean, it amounts to the same thing, but I had a Mondegreen where you mishear a lyric. And oh, that's been my life. That's been a large part of my life, yes. I mean, it amounts to the same thing, but the last few lyrics of the song, I'm not the world's most masculine man, but I know what I am and I'm glad I'm a man, and so is Lola. But for years I always thought he sang, but I know what I am in a bed, I'm a man, and so is Lola. I mean, it amounts to the same thing, but it was only like very recently that I picked up, oh, I've been mishearing that song. Next thing you'll be oh. telling me that Jimi Hendrix you know, didn't sing Kiss This Guy. But, you know. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, David Boy's Rebel Rebel for years, I thought he was singing Looks Like a Beanbag too, <laughs> as opposed to Looks Like He's... And I forgot what the actual lyric is. I still hear Beanbag in my head. <laughs> I know it's clearly not bad, so don't feel bad. At, le- at least your interpretation with Lola is basically the same thing where mine was just like, okay, yeah, Beanbag's so comfy, I guess. I <laughs> Very popular. I think it would have been a better 70s. song. If, if, uh, it would have been a better world if uh, David Bowie had gone with a song of that. I like to think we're going to find like some kind of like hidden demo version of it. That it's like it's all about furniture. <laughs> yes, I was right. I've been vindicated. <laughs> it's funny because Lola's really the only real love song on this album too. Typical of Ray Davies not to go down the you know conventional "I love you, will you love me" man and baby, baby type of route. Having said that, a lot of my favourite songs are those type of songs. But I think we expect something different from. Ray Davies and I think well um, he's the sort of songwriter who said well I'm going to confound your expectations but in this regard I'll accede to them I wanted to just briefly talk about two other songs well no three but two that sort of show the other side of Ray Davies I mean we were really going to see you know Lola is a very sweet song but that's the one that everyone knows but after sort of having come off that sarcasm fest that was the mini rock opera fuck the music business there's a couple of songs, one that you've already sort of gone and mentioned. One of them is This Time Tomorrow. These two songs come one after the other. This Time Tomorrow and A Long Way From Home. songwriter who's known for being cutting you have these songs which are very warm and there's something about this album over it's, it's a production uh, the production value so for a long time a lot of the albums through the 60s they sounded very very thin production wise a lot of that's to do with the technology available at the time but i think that probably lola versus power man was the first really warm sounding kinks album i know that there'll probably be people who will come and say no you don't know what you're talking about there's a a, a low end bass there's a resonance 
that really brings in the warmth from a technical perspective, but there's also something very much that lends it credence to these two songs. Another songwriter who I really, really love is Loudon Wainwright III, and he's also known for writing these very cutting songs or the songs that will have you dropping a tear in your beer. I mean, that's probably like the only connection I could make between Ladden Wainwright and Ray Davies, but he's someone who came to my head while thinking of these two songs. And This Time Tomorrow is just so beautiful and warm in tone. I love the richness that the piano and the nylon string guitar bring in it, making it almost sound like a hymn. It's a really sad song of a traveler. It could be like Ray Davies himself traveling from city to city as a musician, but it could all equally be a business traveler who's just making the move on to the next spot on his itinerary. But the mix and the warmth of the production give this song a real vibrancy as well as a slight melancholy tone, which is a, a, a beautiful combination that you can feel slightly sad and yet slightly vibrant. And I, I just love the nylon string guitar on that. Have you, have you heard of a, an Australian band, the Hoodie Gurus? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, well, I have. Yeah. So one of their more famous songs is a tune called A Thousand Miles Away. And I'd be wondering whether This Time Tomorrow was any inspiration on that. And that song was definitely about a business traveler who spends more time in airports than he does in his home and with his family. I'm wondering if there's another connection because the album that A Thousand Miles Away comes from is called Kinky. I bet you think I'm kinky, right? Ah, Maybe that's Dave Faulkner's connection to the kinks. But, um... <laughs> well, I think the one I mentioned earlier was Long Way From Home. Mm, mm. But because, Morris, you do know me. You know me You know me so well. <laughs> you're, you're a good friend. I also love this time tomorrow. It's beautiful. There's a kind of a breeziness to it musically. There's also a very, like, kind of potent, I think, sentimentalness, sentimentality to it in a way that isn't cheesy or cloying or anything. Right. It, again, sort of like actually what I was saying earlier about, you know, a lot of rock bands have that Life on the Road song. And this, in a way, is that. But it's not, again, just working his magic. It's not It's not cliche. You get the feeling of, like, it is somebody on a plane or a train or a car traveling to the next stop. There's a sadness because you're not at home. You're, you know, in a strange land. You're in the air. But you can still kind of see the beauty of what surrounds you. It's kind of the vibe I got from it. It's a beautiful track. It's one I know that's been, I think, used quite a bit in movies, which isn't a surprise because I think the kinks, the music by and large, really does lend itself well to cinema. Yeah, I believe it ended up in the Darjeeling Limited, uh, the Wes Anderson Uh, film. I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan apart from maybe Isle of Dogs. I'm not a fan. But but now that I've found out that it's in that film, I think I actually want to go see that film. I mean, I need to give him at least credit. Thing. Well, if you've got the good taste to put a kink song in your film, then I owe you the time to at least watch that film. So. Oh, yeah, I will give him that. He has good choice in music because I, I used to work a retail job and the one of the video managers was always asking me to play the soundtrack to the Royal Tenenbaums. Right. And and, um, and that's not a bad soundtrack. Nico's on it. Granted, it's like first album Nico. Mm-hmm. I prefer for like everything after Chelsea Girl because that you know that's largely the stuff that she actually wrote and I think is a lot more innovative but the first album's good I mean it's just it's just kind of lovely folky stuff give me the marble index any day <laughs> you've come a long way from the runny nosed and scruffy kid I knew you had such good I can remember 
So your thoughts on Long Way From Home? Oh, beautiful. This is an exquisite song. Kind of have themes of, of talking about the danger of fame, in particular, the danger of losing yourself and your roots. And just that's kind of a scary thing, becoming a stranger to yourself and to what you truly are. Again, aforementioned, those harmonies when Dave Davies kicks in yes. with the chorus is, oh, is like an angel. It's so beautiful. It's rare for me to hear like somebody's vocals where it just hits so cleanly and just precisely to the heart. But when it does, you know, this is somebody special. And lucky us, we don't get just one person that's special. We get two because we got both of them. I just think it's exceptional. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. It strikes me as a lyric of old Ray Davies coming to young Ray Davies thinking, yeah, look, you had these dreams and maybe you've got this modicum of success now, but you're still a long way from home. You're not really the guy who you wanted to be as a five-year-old, you know, where you were listening to music in your front room. Sure, there are songs out there of an old man talking to a young man saying, be cautious of what happens further down the line in your life. I've seen it. Don't think that you've achieved all that success can or should offer. Just be wary and keep sensible people around you. And that's what this song sort of says to me and that's why I think this time tomorrow and a long way from home I'm so glad that they're paired together on this album they're not like at opposite ends of the album that would have been a bogus move I think but these songs belong together after having songs like The Money Go Round and we've got Rats yet to come oh, yeah so, I was going to bring that one up so I'm glad you mentioned that but I'm, oh. I'm just glad that you know that we get this oasis we get this lovely oasis it's not all bitterness it's not all nasty this is not schmaltzy it is beautiful it does hit the heart as you say, Heather, there's a sincerity in there. There's something that you never doubt what Ray and Dave tell you. They might beat the shit out of each other on stage, but when they're singing these songs, you really believe everything that they say. I just love these songs as cautionary tales, but they're not there to pummel you over the head with it like some of the other songs on the album do. They're just there to say, be wary, and yet they're sort of boisterous and vibrant as well. I love that contrast. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned rats. I gotta go into rats. right after long way from home so yeah we got our, our nice little like gentleness and now it's back to some like hard rocking and some real just good aesthetic commentary just on the parasites and vermin of the industry i also felt like musically to me there's almost like this might sound weird kind of a almost like a spencer davis group tinge to it which i don't think is a bad thing i like the spencer davis group that's actually my favorite thing that steve winwood ever did uh, and then, of course, you got the great line of once he was warm and kind. Now all he has is a pinstripe mind. Has a pinstripe mind. Yes. What a great, great line. That's just beautiful prose right there. The just, music business must have been pissing them both off at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because I believe this is Dave. Yes, it is. is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is so awesome. You ever notice that the cool thing about Dave Davies is a lot of times he tends to have kind of the slightly weirder songs. Like, there's definitely, like, a difference between how Dave approaches things and Ray. It's all the kinks. It's all beautiful. And I love how Dave writes, too. Dave almost writes, like, um, 
you know, they both have prosy elements to it, where, but Ray almost has like a clean, like you mentioned that, which was so brilliant. Like almost like, I wouldn't say like Hemingway, Hemingway's very American, but you know what I mean? Like kind of that clean type approach, very like concise. He's, he's exactly, very, to, to, the, to the point, you don't need to keep looking up a diction. I mean, I know that sounds terrible. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like, inverted commas, clever songwriting. Or, or very literary songwriting, I do, but I just love the fact that Ray and Dave can get to the heart of the matter using everyday language. Yeah, and Dave does that too, but Dave almost does have a little more of evocativeness, I think, with his writing. Like, he's definitely, I would love to read like a book of short stories by Dave Davies. Well, I would love to read anything by either one of them, actually, which now I will soon because I have Ray's books. I have read Dave's bio. Which was really good. No shock there. But, uh... <laughs> Look, you know, it's funny. For the longest time, I didn't actually sort of, it didn't hit me. I mean, I knew the voice was Dave's, but it didn't hit me that, oh, this is a Dave song. I liked it, but I'm going to make a clever link here. For me, the Dave moment is not rats on this album. It's strangers. Where you go? Strangers is probably close to being my favorite King song. For the longest time, I thought that Strangers was actually a love song from Dave to his brother Ray. We always knew that the two of them had been having this fractured relationship and they'd beat each other up on stage and they hadn't spoken to each other for years, so I've been led to understand. But apparently an interview with Dave in the 90s said that no, it wasn't a song to Ray, though he could see why people would think that. In fact, it was a song from him to an old school friend who he drifted from and the friend had become heavily immersed into drug addiction and his life went completely off the rails. But he was still someone who Dave had strong affection for and had really admired while growing up. From a musical perspective, I love the fact that Strangers, it builds up. So the first verse is just Dave on acoustic guitar with some plain piano backing. By the verse two, Mick Avery joins him with a really simple but very beautiful imaginative tom-tom kick drum pattern. And by the time we get to the final verse of the song, John Dalton kicks in on the bass. And I think, I'm presuming it's Ray on the Hammond organ, I'm not sure. But we get this gradual build-up. And I think just like I said about Long Way From Home being very hymn-like and this song almost builds up like a hymn you know, because of you know, that, that organ sound and it has that lovely gospel Hammond feel. I love Dave's voice in this which is a contrast to I think you know, Ray's more mannered voice and just sounds very very emotional and even desperate in points when he sings I'll follow you wherever you go if your offered hand is still open to me which it could have been something that he was singing to Ray, but just is surprised to me that it wasn't. But then again, given that I think maybe they continued to fight after this song came out, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise. But that line, strangers on this road we are on, but we are not two, we are one, sounds very much like from a brother to another brother. So yeah, Rats to me is you know, a great bitter song at the music industry or really it could be about any form of parasites in society but it's not unique in that regard it's a great song but 
this is the one that emotionally sort of cuts to me every time and I played it hundreds and hundreds of times outside of just playing the album from start to finish. To me, this is Dave's moment on the album and maybe Dave's moment in the Kinks catalogue and that's catalogue spelled with a K. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) If I had to pick a favourite Dave song on this album, that would be mine too. In fact, I know I'd written to you privately earlier this week just talking about how revisiting this album was like revisiting a really cherished old friend and the song that made me that had that sentence hit me was this one it's one of those songs you listen to and just everything kind of floods for you for me at least you know Dave fascinating as always I didn't actually think about the brother connection is I kind of viewed the song it's it's sad but it's ultimately hopeful I took it as kind of like a statement on the human condition and just like how life you're going to deal with grief and mortality and loneliness like these are things we all deal with at various stages in our lives but there's also the unity like we're all no matter how alone you feel you're not alone we're all one mm. together i feel like this makes me sound a bit like a hippie i'm not a hippie <laughs> again just like something that i think dave is really exceptional at and right too at times is giving kind of acknowledging like some of the sadder aspects of life because i mean they're there you can't you know we can look away from it nothing's going to go away but also but given that still hopefulness with it and things are going to get rough and things are going to get sometimes really shitty but there is love there is connection and there's ultimately hope in this life there are reasons to still be here and stick it out this is a phenomenal track on an absolutely phenomenal album and that's the beauty of any music or any art in general once the composer or the author has gone and put their creation out there into the greater world with their connection to it. They've basically said, right, you find your own connection. Just because it meant this thing to me doesn't mean that you know your interpretation of this song finding a connection between people in general is incorrect. It wasn't how I started out with, but I'm glad that you found your way with that song. And I, I think Dave would completely be happy with that. And that's why I think this song is a well-loved Kinks deep cut. You know, it was sort of like doing a little bit of research and found that this is definitely amongst people who are Kinks album fans, this is a solid favourite. It's probably because lyrics like that resonate with them. And that's the gift of the Kinks catalogue, I think, in general, is that so many people only really know, like, the really, really super big hits, like Lola and All Day and All the Night. You know, you really got me going, which all three, obviously, great tracks. There's shame in that. But do yourselves a favor, if you haven't already, delve into the catalog. This is a great start. Actually, any of the albums that Morris has mentioned in this show should be. The Latter-day stuff's really great, too. In fact, there's a song I was thinking of when we were talking about just the whole themes of power and corruption and dealing with kind of being preyed upon in an industry. There's a song called Sold Me Out that's on the Word of Mouth album. That's 
excellent. That's one of my actually my favorite Kink song, and it, that's a song that deals with those themes pretty viciously too. So just this thing, the Kinks are really they're a gift that are always going to keep on giving. The timing of this is cool. Uh, my good friend Keith Crocker, him and his wife Christina, got to see Dave live. Oh wow! Yes, like a, like a week ago, like super recently, oh, man. and got to do like a meet and greet and get their picture taken with them and talk to them. And the show, no shock, was amazing. Dave, completely down to earth. Super, super nice guy. Very humble. And you think about everything Dave Davies has done. There's a whole generation of guitar players that would not sound the way they do if it hadn't been for hearing Dave Davies. Dave was really one of the first kind of just really good, loud, crunchy electric guitarists. Like they, you know, that had this big sound. So that's just, that's cool. That's uh, you, you always love hearing nice things about your heroes. We've all had people we've admired where you, you hear stuff and you're like, oh, <laughs> Like, I don't want to meet them. I'll still enjoy the albums. But <laughs> When you think just about how versatile he was, because, you know, those early hits were based in blues structures, and he could have easily been a guitar god in, in the way that whatever Jimmy Page became later on. But he went down a different path because he stuck with the kinks. He stuck with his brother Ray. And Ray said, look, I'd like to do songs like Dead End Street or Waterloo Sunset or Lazy Old Sun. And these are very, very different places from where they started out. I mean, of course, in the late 70s, they went to some more of those hard rock origins, but he could do so much stuff. And if he'd wanted to go down a more conventional route, he would have been cited as one of the great rock guitarists of that era. But no, he decided, well, I'm happy to be a member of a band. And here we are, we still love them, we're still talking about them to this day and want to put more people onto them. And it, it seems really incredulous to say we want to put more people on to the kinks because everyone knows the name but as i said before there how many people will name an album that is not a greatest hits album or you know in recent years maybe the village green preservation society because it hit 50 years old more people are knowing about it and more people can say okay i know that album in the same way that they know pet sounds i've got to ask you though heather before we sort of wrap this up with maybe one more song have you ever seen percy hello what's this a fig leaf no, probably another sex education film. No, it's not. It's Percy. I have not. I want to, and I've wanted to for a long time. I have just, I have not managed to get my little mitts on it yet. But I do want to see it. Because right. obviously there's a Kinks connection. There so is of course a, there, i got to see it. There is a Kinks connection, absolutely. So, yeah, they wrote the soundtrack for that film. And I think that actually might be the final Pie Records era album. But I think I might have seen like a heavily censored version of it on television as a kid. And for those of you out there who haven't seen it, it's about a guy who gets the world's first penis transplant. He falls out of a window as as he finds out that the woman who he's having an affair with her husband comes home so he falls out lands on his schlong and has to undergo a penis transplant and he spends the rest of the movie trying to find home for his new penis like as in who previously owned the penis that he is now exercising and really i mean can you imagine in 2019 walking into an executive's office and saying i've got a great idea for a film for you and you're describing percy 
but I just sort of figured that it seems like the sort of film that you should be writing about. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I have seen it, and I think maybe what we ought to do is we'll, we'll find it streaming somewhere, and then you and I will just sort of get online and we'll watch it and maybe do a commentary. That needs to happen. I'm down with that. It's funny. It sounds like it's the lighter side of Doris. I believe it was Doris Frischman's The Amazing Transplant, which uh, involves a penile transplant theme, uh, but is far, probably a, quite a bit sleazier uh, and more rapey, I imagine, than Percy was. Percy, as far as I remember, is possibly like a slightly more raucous carry-on film. But yes, that had a kinks connection. They came up with the music for that, and I think Lola might actually be in that film. Is that connection with a K? It is connection with a K. Any, <laughs> any K-sounding words that we've used in today's episode start with a K. We haven't covered every song on the album, but that's not what this show is about. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one of the greatest songs of environmentalism ever committed to tape. Now, when we think environmentalism, we've got Big Yellow Taxi and Dreamworld by Midnight Oil or Saltwater by Julian Lennon or even Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. Yes. But Ape Man defeats them all. I think I'm sophisticated because I'm never my life like a good homo sapien. But all around me, everybody's multiplying and they're walking around like flies, man. So I'm no better than the animals sitting in the cages in the zoo, man. Cause compared to the flowers and the birds and the trees, I am an ape man. You've already gone and mentioned to me, Heather, that you're a huge fan of the film clip. Uh, well, yeah. First of all, it's Ray Davies in what perhaps might be the most fantastic looking white shaggy coat I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm a pretty easy to please girl. Like, if Ray Davies in something, you already got me. Okay? Like, I've, I've you watched really got that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a cute clip, and it's a cute song, and it's kind of like, it's a funny song, but there's also just a little bit of darkness, which is kind of like what makes the Kinks so good. Why are the Kinks for being like this large band? not quite as big as heralded and i think something kind of hit me is that unlike a lot of super big rock groups they're you know the kinks nobody died super young so you've got that thank god but you also have the fact that this isn't really music to escape to i love the stones there's a lot of bigger like big name rock bands i do like a lot of the work from but let's face it the majority of the masses listen to a lot of that music to either you know get laid or get stoned right or have a beer just escape relive their youth, whatever. The Kinks don't really have that. The Kinks have always been, like, I think, kind of smarter than that. Yes. And and I think that when you're really anything you do something really really intelligently, that's going to kind of probably, it's like this is so cynical of me, it's probably not going to make you, like, super status quo big, super ridiculous gold toilet you know, like mega famous but, you know, I'd like to think today they're fine with that because it's like they're real people. Dave and Ray Davies seem like good, to this day, straight up dudes that, you know, would rather have integrity. I agree with you there it sounds like you know, Ray and Dave don't want to be big countercultural heroes or big mainstream heroes 
but I'm sure that every 90s power pop or indie band worth their salt would say, oh yeah, the kinks before anything for me. I mean, it blurs the big one, but you know, I'm sure Fountains of Wayne and Matthew Sweet, uh, any other Britpop band worth their salt would have said, oh yeah, the kinks before the stones, before the who. They're heroes to the counterculture, but they probably never set out to be counterculture heroes, if that makes sense. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and there's the, the timelessness to that too. I think everything they deal with, even Ape Man, which is basically dealing with themes of escapism and also, you know, not, not just from like, you know, the business world or city life, but also just, you know, this whole line of like, I don't want to die in a nuclear war. But it doesn't matter. Everybody acts like, oh, shit's horrible now. Things have always been terrible on this planet. They've always, always been great too. It's the yin and yang, you know, like there's always been things like fascism and threats of, you know, annihilation and war and all of that but there's also people doing great things for each other and people trying to make a difference and so it's a balance but yeah I mean it's natural to want to escape and just be like I can't take this right now <laughs> you know I want to go off to an island and live like an ape man well, I want to go off to an island and live like Ray Davies in that coat I love the fact that this song it sounds like it should have been on like a children's television show there's something that's if not quite nursery rhyme about it, but the chorus is as simple as it gets. You know, I'm an ape man, I'm an a- ape man, I'm a King Kong man, I'm a voodoo man, I'm an ape man. It sounds nonsensical on the one hand, but it's the sort of thing which, you know, if you get the kids singing along to this, when, when I say the kids, I don't mean like Denmark Street Publishers talking about who the kids are. I'm talking about, you know, young children listening to a song about an ape man, and it sounds great to them on the surface, but there's these fun underlying themes like nuclear war and not wanting to live through them. But the world is polluted. The world is dangerous. But I'm an ape man. It just does sound like a fun song. And he's taken these dark themes and he's just made it something fun. This is one that's always been a strong part in my life. I remember, you know, even before I knew who the Kinks were, I remember hearing this song as a kid on the radio. And I might have even seen this little film clip on television as a kid. There was something that was very familiar about it to me once I saw it again in the 90s. It is a sweet song or a sweet sounding song with a serious message, but it's not earnest. This was an environmental song before environmental songs, I think, became a thing that everyone had to do to get their name noticed. And I know that sounds cynical, but this was just another thing that was in Ray Davies' head. There are themes of environmentalism, I guess, if you think about it, in Village Green Preservation Society as well. But that's more about him as you know, a, a Briton looking after his property. This is a, a more global, more universal thing, but it's just, hey, this would be a fun song to do. To me, it's just nothing about having to keep up with what the rest of the rock fraternity is doing. Oh, yeah, we have this rock fraternity that's really concerned about globalism and war and dying from pollution. It's just him having a bit of fun. Yes. God, I love him so much. I love this band so much. You know, you think about, especially in the 80s, how many, like, rock stars and pop stars did the whole posing of, like, oh, I care about the world. I mean, some of them meant it, no doubt, but then some of it, like, you listen to We Are the World, and it's just disgusting, because it's just like, this is so superficial Mm. and so dialed out of you know real reality one little kind of seemingly silly song like ray davies can just make 
a, just a razor sharp insight into things. Mm-hmm. No posing, no pomp and circumstance, no pretentious bullshit. I just everybody right now that listens to this, I want you to go build an altar to Ray and Dave Davies. <laughs> you do this, do this for me, do this for Morris, and do it for the kinks. When, when artists give you this much great art, that's an act of love. That is an act of pure. 100% love. And you've got about 30 albums to choose from. How prolific were they? Oh, my gosh. I don't. I haven't heard everything they've done to this no, day. No, I'm absolutely like, not. I need, to, I need to win some lotteries or something. <laughs> Round out my kinks discography. But We've spoken for so long about this album. This is the perfect place to start if you haven't already heard it. And if you have heard it many times, listen to it again. I think we'll finish our discussion at that point because now I think I just want to go listen to the album again and stop talking about it. Heather Drain, it's been a delight. It's been a pleasure. It's been pure kinky bliss to have this kinky conversation with you. <laughs> well, thank you. And likewise, thank you so much for having me on. You you could have had any number of people that are way more probably esteemed and well-heeled than myself. I don't think I could, actually. I real I think I'd be struggling with that. Well, thank you. Seriously, thank you for having me so much. I love, you do a great show. This is an awesome podcast. And um, if anybody, if you're new to the show and you like this episode, do yourself a favor and go through the archives after you're done building your Davies Brothers shrine. Of yeah, that, that's first priority. That's first priority. Absolutely. So where can people find you, Heather, if they want to follow your writing? Well, um, of course, you can find me on pretty much all the major social media outlets. I'm on Twitter, at Mondo Heather. Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Also, I have a website, MondoHeather.com. I also uh, do a number of articles for uh, DiaboliqueMagazine.com. And, of course, I freelance for others. I'm in a new issue... I'm in the newest issue of Soledad magazine, which you can find on Amazon, as also uh, in Mike McFadden's uh, new book about teen movies called Teen Movie Hell. I have a little section on uh, the Chuck Vincent film Blue Summer. Mm. Yes, I heard his uh, interview this week on Supporting Characters podcast hosted by your aforementioned friend Bill Ackerman. And um, yeah, now I'm definitely keen to go get a copy of that book. It says uh, before he had a chance to speak to you and... Sam and a lot of the other really great writers from Diabolique and a lot of other great female writers. He said the book would have been one thing, but your contributions made the book a far better book than he'd originally envisioned it to be. And your own encyclopedia, is that anywhere near closer to being released, Heather? Oh, yes. The Bizarro Encyclopedia of Film, Volume 1, which is a tome of complete, utter film madness and love written by myself and the great John Skip, one of the godfathers of splatterpunk and bizarro fiction himself. We the book is done. It's been done for quite a while, but we uh, we had to, the release date got pushed back um, due to some publishing type matters. But uh, we are looking at knocking on all the wood here, babies. A November like fall release. 
November. Uh, it was supposed November. to be November last year. What's going on? Uh, it's it's publishers. It's, pu- publish publishing is not an easy business. It's uh, let me tell you. But the book it will get out in the fall. Okay. And I would like to see it actually on October because my favorite holiday is Halloween. So you know I'm all buy presents for each other on Halloween. Come on, what other holiday where you can have like pumpkins and plastic skeletons and stuff? It's fantastic and candy. But um, <laughs> but uh, but that will be. And of course, I any updates I have on that book as well as anything else I'm doing, uh, of course I will promptly put up on all of my social media. Huzzah. I'm looking forward really particularly to that Bizarro Encyclopedia because we've been talking about that for a year now, I think, Heather. And I'm, I'm, I think by the time you release it, maybe it'll sort of do a double with Volume 2 as well. Well, we already have Volume 2 kind of like planning in the works. So we, we it definitely, so that hopefully there won't be as long of a wait for that one. You know, when I mean, indie publishing, like our publisher's great. You got you got to be a little gentle to the indies, you know. You do. A tiny do. handful of people doing a whole lot of great needed work out there. So we appreciate your patience, but thank you so much for us. And for the record, uh, Bill Ackerman is a new fan of your show because he listened to both the replacements and the tubes episodes. Holy shit! Now I've got to and stand he, it to he, work. He loved it. And he knows, like, when it comes to the repli- like the replacement, he knows his shit. He actually knows what he <laughs> and he and it and he gave it the seal of approval. So we obviously we did something right. <laughs> the checks in the mail, Bill. <laughs> so let's talk about next month. That's going to be June of 2019. I hope not to take the month off, like I have the previous even numbered months of 2019, but. Who knows what real life's going to throw up at me. But the intention now is that I will release an episode. That'll be episode 124. And that will feature another great film writer from out there. Another wonderful lady from the community, from the film-loving, music-loving community. Her name is Kerry Gately Fristo. Now, we've had her a couple of times on the See Here podcast. And she said, I want to come and love that album. And when... You said, I want to talk about the kinks. And I said, well, I've got no one now to talk about Todd Rundgren. And she said, well, I'm going to talk about Todd Rundgren with you if you like. So in June of 2019, Kerry Gately Fristo, excellent film writer and music writer, will be joining me to talk about something slash anything on Love That Album podcast. So looking forward to having her join me next month. If you wish to get in contact with me, you can write to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. If you uh, wish to join the Facebook group where we talk about all sorts of music, uh, if you wish to sort of name an album that you love or a concert that you've gone to or a theory that you think about why musician is overrated, underrated, anything at all that's music related, then you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. And I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your opinions. There's some great conversations that take place. And I think that is about it. That's all I can think of to say we're coming up recording to the two hour mark i'm sure some of it will be edited out uh, so it might be a little bit less but when i add the music in it might come up to do two hours who knows i'm sprouting so all i can say is heather once again thanks for joining me and people out there please be nice to each other the world is pretty horrible in some ways remember that we're all strangers on the road that we're on but we are not millions we are one that's a bit hippie, but it's true after each other. I'll speak to you next month. All the best. Cheers.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 